Well, good morning, Mercy Road. It is so good to be in God's Word with you today. And if you're joining us online, we also want to welcome you to just soak this up. We are in a series in the book of Jonah called The Mystery of God's Mercy. Today is part three. And I want to just walk us back because not everybody's gotten to come to each of these parts. But we enter into week three. Jonah is in peril, okay? Jonah had chosen to disobey a calling given to him by God. God had asked Jonah to go and preach to the Ninevites, to call them to repentance. And Jonah basically said, no thank you. Maybe he didn't even include the thank you. And he got on a ship and he sailed the opposite direction from the calling that Jonah had given, I'm sorry, that God had given to Jonah. And so Jonah is in the ship with the crew and a storm comes. It's a storm that God brings upon the ship and they are in peril. The ship is about to break apart and the crew says, Jonah, what shall we do with you? And he says, throw me overboard. Toss me into the sea because when you do, the seas will become calm because God and I have a problem. This is about me. It's not about you. If you take me and toss me into the sea, the seas will become calm. And so they're reluctant. They don't want to, but they throw Jonah overboard and the seas become calm. And so Jonah is now inside this giant fish for three days and for three nights. And Jonah, if you want to come up, we're going to experience this together. God, I can't believe it. All I wanted to do was quietly drift down to the bottom. Jonah, I, I, God, I was so willing to give up my life for this. But is it your desire that I suffer now too? Well, why am I in here? What are you doing to me, God? I, I just wanted to die, and now this. God, it's cold in here. It smells. What are you doing? Well, why did you choose me in the first place? There's plenty of prophets. If you wanted Nineveh to know and have a chance to repent, why did you choose me? You knew my heart. Those people, of all people, don't deserve your mercy. They deserve your judgment, God. Why? Why? In my distress, Lord, I call out to you. Please, please answer me. From the depths of this grave, I call for your help. 
please hear my cries. You have hurled me into the deep, into the very heart of the sea. The current swirls about me. All your waves and, they bra- and your breakers, they crash over me. I've been banished from your sight, yet I will look towards your temple. The engulfing waters, they threaten me. The deep surrounds me. Seaweed is wrapped around my neck. To the root of the mountains I have sank down. To the earth beneath, you have barred me forever. But you, Lord, can. You can give me life. You can bring me up from this pit, O Lord, my God. My life is ebbing away. From this place, I do remember you. And I raise this prayer to you, to your holy temple, Lord, I pray. Those who cling to worthless idols, they forfeit the grace that could be theirs. But I, I will sing this song of thanksgiving to you, God. I will sacrifice to you. And the vow that I have made, I will make good. Salvation comes from you. Well, thank you all for joining me inside the belly of that great fish. I want to read the words that Jonah actually prayed from inside the fish. Jonah chapter 2, verse 1. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, in my distress, I called out to the Lord, and he answered me. From the depths of the grave, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the deep, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I've been banished from your sight, yet I will look again towards your holy temple. The engulfing waters, they threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the root of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you brought my life back up from the pit. Oh, Lord, my God. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord. And my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. But I, with a song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. Salvation comes from the Lord. Amen? Jonah spent three days, three nights inside that great fish. And in that time that Jonah spent inside the fish, all we have to go on is eight verses. Eight verses that Jonah cried out to the Lord inside that fish. Now, I'm pretty confident that God deliberately, in his mercy and his love for Jonah, gave him plenty of time inside that fish to think about his disobedience, to think about the calling that God had laid before him, to think about what he might do next if he was given life. 
And so God, if we were using modern vernacular, gave Jonah a, a three-day, three-night, all-expenses timeout, <laughs> right? A, a giant timeout in the belly of that great fish to reflect, to, to think, am I willing to obey a God that I do not fully understand that's calling me to something I do not want to do. And from that belly of the fish, Jonah had time to think about his condition. And so, as we think about today and, and we think about what we can learn from this story from Jonah, the, the first lesson I want to share with us this morning is we often learn that the greatest truths of God's mercy when we are at the bottom. Isn't that true? I envy those of you who are quick to turn to God, <laughs> that it's easy for you just to naturally go to God when you are struggling, when, when you're in difficulty. If I'm honest with you, that is not my natural default. God is still at work in me to get rid of that pride and, and that idea that I can do this if I just try hard enough. I grew up in that environment. My, my folks let me be independent, and I loved it, and I worked hard at it. But in it, I learned some unhealthy lessons too. In it, I learned that, that, that I was slow to turn to God and quick to just fight the good fight and think, I'm going to persevere in this. And so God, in his grace and his mercy, sometimes teaches us the greatest lessons of our life when we are at the bottom. I love what pastor and author Timothy Keller say about this, says about this. He says, the way up for many of us is to first go down. <laughs> Isn't that a great picture? The, the way up for many of us is we actually need to go down first. The usual place we learn the greatest secrets of God's mercy and his grace are, are not at the mountaintop, as beautiful as that is, but it's actually at the bottom when we are desperate and we are crying out and we are vulnerable. It's strange, but sometimes God has to strip away everything. And then all we have left, if we so choose, it is to cry out to God. And that's the place Jonah found himself. And, and I know for me, I, I, I'm a work in progress, but, but often it's in those vulnerable places where, where my prayers are most sincere, they're most passionate, it is when I'm in the bottom, when I am most vulnerable in my life. There were three ministers, and, and they were having a conversation about what is it that is the very most effective way to pray to God. And the first minister was about to pray, and in the background, there was a phone repairman, and he was working in the background, listening to these ministers go back and forth. And the first minister said he thinks he knew the greatest way to pray, and that was to put our hands together like this, point them towards heaven, because this shows the most reverence for God, is when we do this. Well, the second minister said, no, no, no. I think the most effective way to pray is when we get down on our knees 
and we humble ourselves before God because it's from here that we are humble and God will hear our prayers. Well, then the third minister said, no, no, no. I think the best way to pray is when we close our eyes because when we close our eyes, we block out all of the distractions. Well, the phone repairman interrupted and he said, I actually think I know the greatest way to pray to God. He said, I found my best prayers come when I'm dangling upside down by my feet from a power pole 50 feet above the ground. (laughs) My prayers are, are powerful and they're raw and they're honest. Isn't that true? I think the phone repairman is right. It's from that place where some of our most effective prayers come is when we are desperate, when we are vulnerable, hanging upside down, when we, as Jonah found out, are at the bottom. The most powerful prayer that Jonah ever prayed in his life was probably that prayer in the belly of a fish. He was hopeless, and his life depended on God and God's mercy, and Jonah was desperate. And from that place, he just rawly, honestly cries out to God in the only way he knows how. God knew in his love and mercy for Jonah that he had to take everything away before Jonah might just actually open up his heart and begin to step forward towards God once again and be obedient and work on behalf of God instead of trying to disobey God's calling. You see, so many of us, and I put myself in this category, are wrestling with our own pride, our own self-righteousness, our own self-sufficiency, And when we're in that place believing we can do it or we know better somehow than God what's best, our prayers aren't sincere. They aren't genuine. They aren't desperate. God, here's what I want to do, and I want you to do it for me, right? But Jonah had nothing to hold on to anymore. His life was ebbing away. And so he was desperate, and he cried out to God. It was about three or four years ago for me. Uh, I was preaching at Cross of Christ Community Church. I had been there about seven or eight years, and we had seen a modest growth for the first five or six years I was there. And we had kind of plateaued, but it was still fairly comfortable. And, and we were seemingly doing okay. Little concern that we are no longer growing, a little concern that that a couple of young families had left us. But then one year, nothing terrible happened. There's nothing we could point to, nothing I could see. In one year, we lost about 30 or 40 people. And folks, we were a church of 140 or 50 people, so losing 30 or 40 people, you felt it. You saw it. It, it, it impacted everything. And I began to be nervous. I began to wake up at night. I began to wrestle with why, God? Why is this happening to us? We're we're doing our best. And one day I was working on a sermon alone at church, and I came into our chapel. It was a little older than this one, but this is the picture. 
being in here alone, and I got up on the stage, and, and, and I just cried out to God. I was so vulnerable. I said, God, if I'm not the one to lead this church, you've got to show me. I, I don't want to be where you don't want me to be. And if this church needs somebody else, you gotta, you got to tell me, and I'll walk away. And I just sat up there, and I, I laid my heart before God, and I said, but if I am the one that's supposed to lead this church, I can't carry this without you. I don't even know what to do next. And folks, God didn't speak to me audibly, but I saw a picture in my mind, and my hands went from this to this. And all I sense God saying is, Chad, all I've ever, ever asked of you is to be faithful to your calling. And that's all I ever will ask of you. And I spent a few more minutes in there. And I walked off that stage. And I just felt like a weight had been lifted. It's probably the most desperate vulnerable prayer I ever had prayed. God meets us in those places. And I just want to be honest about the story because we want to say, and next Sunday we had twice as many people. That's not true. We continued to lose people. Over the next two or three years, we were down to about 80 people. But guess what? We are here because of God. Amen? I don't know why we had to go through that. God knows. I'm better for it. I see the world in different eyes than I used to. I'm so much more willing to do this. I'm still working on it. But, but I know it's only of God if we're going to get anywhere. And, and so I just encourage you in those desperate places, don't, don't do what I tend to do is I'm going to fix this. God wants to fix it with you. He wants to equip you for the journey ahead. And it may not be very fun, folks. It's not always fun. But God so wants to carry the burdens that are too big for you and me. Amen? Amen. Coming back to our story in Jonah. I took uh, the last couple weeks, and I've wrestled with this in a new way. I've looked at it from a different perspective. Part of that came from Ari. Um, Ari is our worship leader here, and he's just brought me behind the scenes in worship in ways I hadn't been very often. And we were talking about this story and this idea, the title, Cries for Mercy. Well, I learned, I knew there were some elements of Psalms in Jonah's prayer, but you know from almost beginning to end, Jonah is praying back to God the Psalms of our Old Testament. I just want to share a few examples that are most obvious. If you want to write them down, you can, but they're more than this. But these are psalms that are present in this prayer. Psalm 18, verses 14 through 16, 120, verse 1, 88, verses 6 and 7, 42, verse 7, 69, 1 and 2, 50, 14, 62, verse 1, and there's more. 
My point in all this is the fingerprints of the Psalms are all over Jonah's prayer. Now that's intriguing to me in itself. And I was trying to think about it and, and, and Ari was helping me think about it. But the dictionary defines this term psalm just so we're all thinking and looking at it the same way as a sacred song or poem used in worship, especially one of the biblical hymns collected in the book of Psalms we find in our Old Testament. And so think about this with me. Jonah is vulnerable. Jonah is desperate. He's praying and his life is ebbing away. And what does he do? He goes back and recites the Psalms to God in his most desperate prayer. Now, you don't all look really excited about that, but I was so intrigued by all that, and I want to invite Ari up, and we just want to talk about why is it that in these times of difficulty and when we are overwhelmed, worship is one of the most powerful tools we have to cry out to God. Awesome. Got to have this. So Ari, I think it started two weeks ago, and then we continued last week. Yeah. But I, I heard you talking, and it made me think. You said that worship, in worship, God has given us a language for us to cry out and speak back to him. What did you mean by that? Yeah. <clears throat> Jonah didn't just pull those words out of the air. They like they were in him. They were his his language to address God. Because God had given us in the Psalms, he's given us a divinely inspired book of songs in which to worship him with joy and sorrow and in happiness and sadness, and it gives us all this language and all this posture and what to play and not always how it should sound, but to be joyful, approach him with joy and thanksgiving, to be penitent and reverent and quiet like we did today. We were loud and we were quiet and reflective. We were putting the Psalms into action. And if it's okay, I'd like oh. to just take us through a little bit of history. Church, I want to make sure that you know it's... Um, because when you read the Psalms, they can be hard to relate to at first. So I want to give you just kind of a story arc of where, how they've come into our heritage as Christians. Before there were Christians and when the Jews proclaimed their joy as Jesus entered Jerusalem, they proclaimed Psalm 118, and it's like 26. That's what they shouted when Jesus rode in on a donkey. When Jesus died, he quoted a Psalm, hmm. Psalm 22. Later, Paul instructs all the Christians in Colossians, he says this. They're now Christians, and he's writing this. He's teaching them how to worship. And he says, let the message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. Hmm. So you have Jonah before Jesus. You have Jesus himself. You have the people surrounding him proclaiming the Psalms, God's word. And then you have the early Christians. And then it continues into St. Benedict when you have him building out his monasteries. And he instructed the monks to sing, read, and pray the Psalms 
all 150 of them every single week. And in fact, the entrance exam to become a monk was to recite the entire Psalter from memory. Wow. It's like, so when Chad was like, <laughs> Ari was like helping me think through this, I'm like, I'm a theological slug. <laughs> like, don't ask me. <laughs> like, I, you know, it's, it's like, and then you get into the reformers and you have these like two big heavy hitter names like Martin Luther and Calvin. And Luther said that the Psalms should be, they should remain in use for the church. He called them a mini Bible because, because they cover everything from creation to the fall. They, they hit the grandeur of God and the gravity of sin. Yeah. And then they, in the end, they talk about grace. So you have, you have creation, fall, grace, all of that's covered. And John Calvin went as far to say is that the design of the Holy Spirit was to deliver to the church a common form of prayer. Mm. A common form of prayer. So when... I say something like, this is the language God has given us to, do, to address him. It's pure, it's true, it's holy, it's honest, it's like visceral and sometimes violent. And all the realness of being human is put into a book. Many songs for us to sing to him and express. Um, one, one author I like wrote it this way. He said, when you take all the circumstances of life, all the social, all the emotional, all the spiritual problems. <laughs> it's beautiful. Um, um, all the social, emotional, and spiritual problems that we face in, in life, and then you, you take the Psalms and you place them next to them. You take these songs that know and understand the sovereignty and greatness of God. All of a sudden, we can start to see our own stuff in perspective. But yeah. those Psalms, they don't like just shove it aside. They say, hey, take your problems that you're facing and put them inside these Psalms. And this is going to not only anticipate all those different things you're going to run into, all the pitfalls of, of the anger and emotion you might be feeling. And it's going to help. It, it shows you how to posture that in an appropriate, holy way to approach God. So in a way, you can put, your, you can put the Psalms in your prayer yeah. or kind of in Jonah's case, he put his prayer in the form of Psalms. He put his, his words and he wrapped it up in Psalms. And... Um, that's a really powerful thing because they're not, they're not set apart from us at a distance. Amen. Like these Psalms aren't at arm length. They're almost too real. And you read them and you're like, wow, these psalmists, they're pretty emotional. <laughs> like I'm not that emotional. And, I, and to that I would say, I guess the opposite of being emotional would be emotionless. And that's also not healthy. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, when you read them, because I've experienced as a worship leader who uses them week in, week out, um, as a Christian who reads them with my kids and with my wife, like they can be hard. They can be hard to understand. So ask the Lord, just ask him, Lord, help me like love these. Amen. Help me love your word more. Amen. We, <laughs> amen. This is what happened to me two weeks ago. And it was even longer. <laughs> and, and he was so excited. And, and I'm like, he said, I just preached you. I'm sorry. And I said, why? This is awesome. 
And, and so we knew this was important because I got to go behind the scenes with Ari and see his heart and why worship is, is so visceral and important to him. And so can I just end with one last question? Yes. You, you had said the, the why we have a language that we get to cry out back to God. Does it surprise you whatsoever that in this desperate place, Jonah reverts and calls on the Psalms that he knew in his heart? No. Um, one, that's the language that he yeah. had been using to pray to God. It's, it, it was his love language, and worship is kind of a love letter to the Lord in a way. It's not just, we can sometimes just see this as a textbook, as this instructional yeah. set of ways to understand and think about the Lord, but that's the difference. He went to the Psalms, which are meant to be performed. They're meant to like inspire imagination and to... Um, to get into your heart and mind. Yeah. So you're not just like mentally assenting to truth. You're actually like gut level responding to it. And at the end, I don't care what your worldview is, at the, at the end of it all, you're going to want to cry out yeah. to something. Everyone's going to want to cry out to something. And the Psalms, the Psalms give you language to approach God. Amen. And so, Thank you, Ari. Thank you. Appreciate that. Folks, I, I want to move us towards the conclusion with this. One of China's best-known pastors historically is a man named Wang Ming Dao. And he was a Christian, a passionate Christian, who, who spoke and pointed others towards the Lord. Well, for that, he was put into prison where he spent 22 years of his life. From 1957 to 1979, he was placed in prison for, for speaking and pointing towards Jesus Christ. And then when he came out, he was interviewed. And I want to share what he said in that interview with you today. He said, in these past 22 years, I've not had a copy of the Bible Happily, between the ages of 21 and 24, I spent my time at home doing the housework and studying the scriptures. I memorized many passages. These passages in my heart came out one by one, and they strengthened me. Had it not been from those, for those words of God, not only I, but many others would have been defeated." Isn't that powerful? In that desperate place where I read some of the story, he, he was grossly mistreated. They wanted to break him. He relied on the word of God in his heart. And, and the interesting thing is that alone is powerful, but he also, because of that, was able to speak it to the other prisoners and, and give them hope. And give them something, an anchor that they could hold on to and, and find strength in. Ari said it better than I ever will, but God gave us song. He, he gave us worship so, so that we would have an intimate language that we could cry out and cry back to him. God gave us his word, his very word to teach us, to instruct us, but just as importantly, to sustain us. 
I'm not asking you all to memorize the entire book of Psalms. I, I haven't come close. But I would encourage you that, that if we can bring some of God's word and, and, and put it into our heart, and by that I mean to, to just have it there, whether it's memorized or whether it's just available to you, it, it can take us from those dark bottom places and, and sustain us when we've got nothing left. Folks, in my weakest moments, God's word sustains me. And I believe it is meant to give us language, just as Ari spoke, to sustain us and and give us a, a privilege to cry out to him from our most vulnerable places. It wouldn't be right if we didn't end with Jonah and the whale, the great fish. So I want to finish and conclude with you with this. God knew, God knows that at different points in our lives, we will all face our own difficult, our own desperate, our own vulnerable places where we may not literally be inside a fish, but in a practical way, we're inside our own fish. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, we're, we're in a fish. It's dark. We're desperate. And we don't understand what's going on. And so many of us, if not all of us, have been in that place. And I'm not going to hide it from you. We're probably going to end up in that place again at some point. But when we're there, we have the privilege to cry out to God. And I want to make this promise to you. When we cry out to God, he hears our prayers. Look what John The disciple John wrote in 1 John 5, verse 14, this is the confidence that we have in approaching God, that if we ask for anything according to his will, he hears us. Folks, this is not a distant God we worship. This isn't a God who set creation in motion and then just walked away and said, good luck to you. This is a God who cares about every detail of your life. He grieves when you're in the belly of the fish. And he wants to meet you there. He wants to sustain you. He wants to carry the burden that's too big for you and too big for me. That's the God we love. That's the God we worship. God heard Jonah's desperate, psalm-filled prayer when he was in the belly of the great fish. And this is what the Lord did. Our final verse today. And the Lord commanded the great fish and it vomited Jonah out onto dry ground. This is going to sound bad. Vomited Jonah out onto dry ground. Now, I've been on the little part of the sea that he was vomited on. Most of it's sand, not all of it. I believe he vomited onto a beach a comfortable beach. And so that's where Jonah finds himself now. He's on dry land. And and if you come back next week, Pastor Mike will pick up the story of Jonah. He's going to pick Jonah up off this beach and help us see the miracle of mercy that takes place in Jonah chapter 3. So come back if you can. And and I just want to show you one more thing that really surprised me this morning. 
You got something else going on? Wait a minute. I, I've been missing this forever. Yeah, I know. Will you pray with me? Lord God, thank you for laughter. Thank you that in our desperation, we're never, ever alone. Thank you that you've given us a language to cry out to you, to strengthen us, to sustain us when we've got nothing left. Lord, thank you that you gave mercy to Jonah and you'll give it to us, not because we've earned it, not because we deserve it, but because you love us that much. Lord, may we lift our voices to you and know in our heart of hearts that you hear our cries and you meet us with a mercy and a grace that is beyond our understanding. But we are so, so thankful for it. We love you, God. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.